And then we have our uh, fashionable <laughs> pastor. Go sit down. Chad. All right. Chad Norris. I want us, I want us to uh, watch a video. Brian Fan has done a great video for us this week. Today we're getting into week three on core values. Let's watch this. Me. Gosh. Since I went to seminary in Birmingham 20-something years ago, it's basically the question is, what is church? You ask 10 people what church is all over America, you get 10 different definitions. And so I want to start with this question, Tennyson, I'll go with you. You ready? Do you know how Paul spread the gospel? Do you know where he preached and what he did? In the text, Paul spent most of his time where? Do you have any idea? In people's homes. In people's homes. So within 258 years, the kingdom of God overtakes Rome. It's declared over 50% Christian nation, which is impossible. I still can't believe how that happened. The question is, how in the world did the gospel spread so fast? Not why. How did the gospel spread so fast? I, mean, I think it's because it, it truly did get in the homes. It wasn't, it wasn't relegated to the church building, to the temple. It wasn't relegated to one place. It spread into real life. It spread into homes. When I say temple and home, what are we talking about with those two entities? Yeah, so okay, so with temple, what we're generally talking about is it's this um, idea of the priesthood uh, of a professional body of individuals raised to position of priesthood, and they are placed in authority, usually over a larger body of people. When you talk about the home, you're talking about a small group of people gathered together. It's a lot more intimate. Why do you think the home, our homes, are not as much in the conversation of spreading the gospel as the temple sign? It's just because of the importance we have placed on it and, um, and tradition and growing up. And that's where I believe more and more because of the breakdown of the home and the destruction of it so many times. Where do you get your peace and where do you get that life? You don't get it at home. You go somewhere else and you go together with people underneath a leader or a group of leaders leading that congregation. Joseph, you and Paige, your home has been called a hotel. There's people in your home all the time. Have you seen it be effective in the transformation of people of spending time with you and Paige in your home? Yeah, there's a level of vulnerability that only happens within the home, uh, or that smaller space. So I'd say, you know, a lot, one thing we believe around here is that vulnerability is one of the few things, or the only thing, really, that leads to transformation. And um, and really, behind closed doors, <laughs> outside of the four walls, you really get to see, you really get to see people's stuff. Laura, me and Wendy met you five years ago, ish, and I would say most of the transformation that we've seen with you and Jesus has been on the home side of things, the way Jody talked about. Has there been things that you could have only garnered in the home and not in the temple setting? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's hard conversations usually that I've seen. The hard conversations are the ones that have brought the most transformation in my life. Tennyson, you and Janelle may be the poster people of this conversation. So you've been committed to the temple side of things your whole life. You and Janelle strike me as a couple who is 100% committed to the temple and 100% committed to the home. Right now, the Fannins are living with you. You have adopted how many kids at this point? I've adopted three, um, and I've fostered over 70 kids. So you fostered over 70 and adopted three? Yeah. 
So you probably should be leading this conversation, not me. <laughs> Why? Um, where did that passion come from for both Temple and home? We decided before we even got married, we were, before we were engaged, we said we're going to do this thing together. We're going to be one of two kids, two biological kids, and then our home would always be open. And we didn't have a clue what that looked like. Um, but we just knew that it was important that we wanted to be a safe place for people to come that were dealing with things so we could actually we could show the love of the Father to people um, and really help transform their lives. Temple is important because, you know, the Word says don't, you know, neglect the, the gathering of the saints together. So that's important. That's what is, it's in the Word. It's in the Bible. That's what we need to do. And, and there's something you can get from the, the um, corporate experience that you can't get at, at home. Typically, most people in the West are... Uh, extreme. They, it, it's either or instead of both and. And so you see a lot of people that get so passionate about the home that they hate the temple. Yeah. They call the temple controlling. Yeah. And then you see some people that say, oh, we got to keep people out of our homes because it's too messy. Mm -hmm. We see in Jesus that he valued both. The home is what has been said here already, but the aspect of is where life is lived out. So it is, God says to listen to his word, but you have to do it. And those are truly people that love God. So in the home is where we can truly live life and live out discipleship. I think there's always a tension, particularly when it comes to leadership, between temple and home. Because obviously what's stuff that happens outside of the four walls of church leadership has naturally less control over because you've had to release and empower to those in the home the authority to lead within those environments. I've been fortunate enough to have been able to see this operate under a church leadership and a church structure that has really married those well and been able to say, you know what, uh, there comes a point we release you as leaders, we continue to hold you accountable and hold you close uh, and know that ultimately if we're doing our job as a church leadership of discipling you as leaders well, then surely if oil flows from the top down, you can only emulate what you're seeing in us. And so I think it starts to put this kind of bomb over the structure of leadership uh, that actually just raises everybody's confidence in each other to lead effectively. That's really good. Joseph, I'd love for you to pray for us that this would not just be theoretical. Because when these two streams come together, it starts to look like Jesus. We want, uh, we want undercover to be in play in the temple and the home. We want vulnerability to be in play in the temple and the home. We want to be family in the temple and family in the home. So why don't you just bless us that what you and Paige already carry, what you see with the students you steward, would become a reality for the whole church. I just pray right now, Father, that it would be a place truly where you dwell in both a strong church and strong homes. They say that the camera adds 70 to 90 pounds on you. And so just some advice here, because I'm getting ready to go to London with Darren Wilson to film a TV show for TBM on Friendship with God. Just wear black. Or get so much navy that it looks black. Going on TBN, I'm going to wear black underwear, black hat, black shoes. I'm going to look like a Navy SEAL on TV. I, 
when we moved into our house seven years ago, I had a really strange encounter with God. Some of the strangest encounters with God that I've ever had are really quiet and subversive. Remember when Elijah is expecting God to show up and boom, and instead he comes in a whisper. And the only way I know how to tell you how we found the house we were going to move into is um, I had an angelic encounter, and I just knew I was supposed to get up, get in my car, and drive from Spartanburg, South Carolina to the promised land in Greenville. (laughs) And when I got in Greenville, I don't know how to explain this. I knew where to turn and where to go. I have no... My wife is the only person that can defend me on this story, so it's it's kind of subjective because no one was in the car with me. I just drove up to a house, and there was not a sign in the house. I just knew that I would live there. How many of you have stories like that to where God guides you? And you're, many people come to Bridgeway it's like, why are you here? I have no idea. I just feel like I was supposed to come this morning. And when I, when I pulled into the house, I knew in my nowhere I'd live there. It would be another year and a half before we moved in. But I pulled out of the house and I took a right and I passed a golf course called Holly Tree. And I grew up playing competitive golf. And I didn't have the money at the time to even play golf there. And God told me that he would use me in influence at Holly Tree. And remember Shamgar in Judges, this really strange, obscure character where he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad? That's it. He's get, he gets like two verses. You know, David's got half a Bible devoted to him. Moses, big deal. Some guy named Shamgar. It sounds like a penalty in soccer, honestly. <laughs> or something you get on your taco at one of these weird places. A little bit of Shamgar on that. Um, he kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad. About this many people in the room, he takes an ox goad and kills everybody. So he took what was in his hand. He did the best he could with it. I was born in life. I remember being, seeing pictures. I don't remember, but I seen pictures of me walking around my golf clubs when I could first walk, using them somewhat as a cane. And I don't ever remember a time in my life where I didn't play golf, watch golf, it's just a part of me. My dad was a national champion golfer when he was 12, number one junior golfer in, in America. His dad spent a lot of time on the golf course. He cleared land in Thompson, Georgia for a golf course named Bell Mead. It's just in my blood. My, my brother's two-time All-State golfer at Dorman. My, it's just in our blood. Well, when God told me, he said, I want you to draw a circle around Holly Tree. Well, I'd read a book four years ago called Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. I encourage you to read it. Fantastic book. Mark's a pastor of a church in Washington, D.C. Phenomenal book. The entire book is based upon the premise of ask the Father what you need to draw a circle around and then believe he will do something great for his own fame and glory. So I drew a circle around the golf course. And I said, well, I don't have any money to join there. Someone blessed me to be able to join there. It's a blessing that the Father helps me play there. But yesterday something came full circle for me. Because what started off as it being about golf is not about golf anymore. Now, yesterday, it had to be God because I've never played that good in my life. I've been playing my whole life. But yesterday, me and my partner, we won their big tournament of the year, which is a Holly Tree member guest. And it's a big deal. Like, it was, yeah. And I see, I just saw Sharon out there a minute ago. Sharon, she, she's on staff there at Holly Tree. To me, what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me last night, I mean, it is a big deal that we won. It's a whole long story. I've never played that good in my life, ever. Um, there are a couple of times I'm like, Lord, you're standing beside me or something. And, and when, when we won, the Father opened up my eyes 
to now a greater level of influence if I choose into it, if I choose into it. And so I take what's in my hands four years ago. I'm good at golf. I'm really good. I circle the course and I say, all right, God, I'm believing that you use me here. If church only becomes about a place that we go to, and then our goal is to only connect with each other, I don't think that's evil. Matter of fact, I don't, I don't think it's evil. I don't think that God is like sick to his stomach about it. It's just not biblical if there is no out. So the church side of things and our core values is here we are together. We come here to get inspired. We come here on how to learn to, to submit to the Father's authority in heaven and delegated authority. We learn to die well, really. It's a death house. Don't you love that? I love telling people that. Uh, I, prophesied, I prophesied over Ben Patat this morning. He's got a tattoo on his right arm. I said, that's the story of your life. If you'll die, God will elevate you. This is a place we learn how to die well. But this is also a place that as we are trained up, equipped, we're released. Well, we're released into what? Most Christians aren't released into anything other than trying to find community inside the context of their gathering. I see a lot of people in 20 years of ministry that they will leave churches because of the inability to connect. And I get that to some degree, but I want to caution against that. Because a lot of times those same people have no out in their lives. So for some of you, you may be passionate about working out at your gym. Have you ever considered the home side of things, that this can become your oikos, A-O-I-K-O-S, your 20 to 50 people that you actually can invest in and help inspire and help raise up? I'm going to break it down for you. There's a temple side of things in the New Testament, which I'll get into, which is here. And there's a home side of things that can be your literal home or it can be your holly tree. I'm asking you this morning, where is your out? I'm not trying to be gross at all in this, but if we eat food four, five, six, seven days, eight days, and there is no excretion, do you understand you become toxic, you can die? It's happening to Christians everywhere. Where there is no out, we become spiritually constipated. And we come for another hit in a place like this to try to get us through when the biblical model is both here and out there. Not just out there to connect, out there to influence when someone who's in their 60s asking me to pray for them that a a spiritual father will be brought across their path to help raise them i'm scratching my head i'm not praying you can be 14 years old 15 years old like my son and having influence on people and raising them to a higher place on the mountain so the mountain of god psalm 24 you can only enter it through clean hands and a pure heart to ascend the mountain of God, two things are always in play. You need like a Sherpa, a guide who's helping you to get to a higher place on the mountain than you are. But you also need to be raising someone else up to a place on the mountain that you already are. Who's mentoring you and who are you mentoring? And 99% of the time, that does not happen inside the context of this place. It happens out there. When I was in seminary, I, uh, I had this thought process. I remember being in a church history class with... Um, Helms, what was his name? Gerald Bray. You remember him? Dr. Bray. He was smarter than Moses. I couldn't understand 30% of what he said. I'm sitting here paying thousands of dollars, and I'm like, I can't even learn about God. This is harder than trigonometry at University of Georgia. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I wrote this train of thought down uh, in that class that day. Okay, have you ever asked? This is kind of weird, some of the stuff we believe. I mean, it's got to be by faith. Here's what we believe. That God made people. <laughs> okay that he made us to bless us with himself and each other and we're wired to connect with him and each other 
Genesis 3 changes the game. God then sends his son into the world to pay the ultimate penalty for our sins. And I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 12. This Jesus lived across the ocean in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. I'm now in a seminary learning about Jesus, his father, and Holy Spirit, and how I can lead others to connect with him and each other. And I'm asking myself, how did I get to this place? This is some preposterous stuff to believe. I'm going to Israel in January to where Jesus lived. Do you ever just stop and think about how weird this whole thing is? I'm a pastor of a church. I'm going to visit the land that God lived on in the flesh 2,000 years ago. Sometimes we get too used to this story. This is preposterous. I'm going to get on an airplane and go to the Lord's hometown. Think about this. So I'm thinking through these things of how did we get here? So think about this. I'm not paying you to come. I'm not performing. You're here for free. We're here to gather around a man that lived on the earth uh, a couple thousand years ago. That's pretty strange and awesome. People look at us sometimes like, that's kind of weird. And we actually have encounters with this person and we abide in him. And, but how did we get here? I'm not talking about why. I'm not even going to talk about theology this morning. I'm not even going to talk about... I'm going to talk about methodology. I'm not even going to talk about ideology. How did we get here? Can we put up the definition of methodology, please? I just want to look practically. How in the world does this man who lives on the earth 2,000 years later, we're gathering around in his name and he's blessing us and we're connecting with him. So this is methodology. It's the systematic theoretical analysis the methods applies to a field of study. It comprises the theoretical analysis of the body of methods and principles associated with a branch of knowledge. Typically, it encompasses concepts such as paradigm, theoretical model, phases, and quantitative or qualitative techniques. A methodology does not set out to provide solutions. It is therefore not the same as a method. Instead, a methodology offers the theoretical underpinning for understanding which method, set of methods, or best practices can be applied to a specific case, for example, to calculate a specific result. I want you to picture in your mind Rome being the most oppressive society the world's ever seen tyrannical Rome. Sovereign Abba Father places Jesus at the base of the most tyrannical empire the world's ever seen. In 258 years, a sect of religion with no weapons, no printing press, in 258 years, overcomes Rome and Rome was declared an over 50% Christian nation. I'm not asking why and I'm not asking the theology behind it. I'm asking how did it happen? How did we get here? Because here's the deal. You can have a church in America that looks successful but is not biblical. God told me this morning on the front row, this is what will set you apart from other mega churches because where there is no excretion and multiplication, it's not biblical. Just because you look successful in ministry doesn't mean you are according to him. You ever ask yourself, what's God's scorecard? What's his scorecard for the church? I can go ahead and tell you what it is. Ready? It's multiplication. It's Matthew 28. If it's not multiplying, I'm not even sure he cares. How do I know this? Because when you know the nature of someone, you can always predict his or her behavior. Today, what we're doing by these young people being multiplied out of here, do you understand the potential for impact through their lives of what they've been trained up in here? I mean, think about it. But we should not have to just be at that stage of life to be in a stage of multiplication. There is no addition with the Father. There's only multiplication. He loves compound interest. 
Jesus has no weapons. Peter goes to cut off, the, well, he does cut off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus says, put that sword away. No swords. He doesn't want to fight. And somehow a tyrannical empire says we are declaring ourselves a Christian nation. I want to talk a little bit about how this thing has multiplied to get us to here. Um, can we put up the definition of expand, please? Expanded, it's being or having been enlarged, extended, or broadened in particular. So think about it. There's no concept of the United States of America when Jesus is here. And yet here we are, this country founded upon the premises of God. I read the most boring book I've ever read in my lifetime, probably second most boring. It was called um, The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, an unbelieving sociologist that said, how did this happen? Change my life. He got born again, by the way, on his studies. Got to be careful what you study. <laughs> it's like Lee Strobel. Remember his story? He doesn't believe in God. Now he's an evangelist. Some of you investigating the Holy Spirit. He will get you. <laughs> Tongues aren't real. Yes, they are. There's one in your mouth, and it's just waiting to pray. <laughs> it's just waiting to pray. Tongues aren't real. Sure, I'm 6'4". And Rodney's like, I mean, this, this book's awful. Don't go read it. <laughs> Rodney's like, I don't know about you. I ask these questions. How did this happen? Here's how it happened. Uh, um, I wish I could make this complicated, but I want to go to Acts 17, 16 through 17. Okay, remember the story of Saul, Paul. This is more like a TED talk this morning. I only have a few minutes left. Saul is on the road of Damascus, he gets blinded, right? By God. Where was he going to persecute Christians? He was going into the homes. He wasn't coming into a temple setting. He was going into the homes. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. But watch this, after he gets born again, where is he ministering right now? He's in the synagogue and where else? In the marketplace. So another way to look at this, he's here. He's also out there. Um, go, to, go to Acts chapter 9, verse 120. The whole goal of Bridgeway is not just to be here. It's to be here and there. Where there is no excretion, there is no church. If we want to be successful, we can build this up big. But if we want to be biblical, we must be multiplying. If you only have a here and not a there, it's not temple home. Our houses, our homes, our sphere of influence, our holly trees should be just as powerful as what happens in here. Are y'all with me on this? But here's the deal. There's not a mommy and daddy to hold your hand to make it happen. You got to choose into it. I drew a circle around a, a, a um, what are those things called? You eat at restaurants. And I'll tell you where it is. Genghis Grill. I've eaten at Genghis Grill in the past five years more than anybody in Greenville. I promise you that's not even prophetic. Because God told me to draw a circle around a restaurant. And he said, watch how I use you there. I'm telling you, I've seen more physical healings at that restaurant than most people see in a church service. I, pick, I, I picked a place and kept going back and back and back and back, and God gave me influence, and her name was Lonnie. She was a manager, and Lonnie introduces me to 10 others, and I'm like a pastor when I walk in there, prophetic words, people crying, the other person saying, you eat here more than any customer we've ever seen. <laughs> but I had to choose into it. No, nobody's making me do it. If I only pastor in here, I'm, that's pretty plastic. I'm sorry. I minister to more people on the golf course. I heard more cuss words in the past 
three days than I have in the past eight months, and I felt like God was with me. Not only did I not judge anybody, I actually really love being around people who need Jesus. It gets a little bit sick when all you do is hang around people that don't need Jesus. Aren't we light to darkness, not just light to light? And what we call community, God's saying, I don't know what you're talking about because where there is no multiplication, I'm calling it disunity, typically not community. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest. This is interesting. And asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. As we make our way to Ananias, remember, I'm asking how. I'm not even getting into the theology of this. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I love that. Don't have too many dreams over your life. You may not be in the kingdom. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. I have, I Lord have, the, love, the Lord loves to mess our plans up. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, raise your hand. You are a target to be used like this. Watch this. They don't go to a temple. They don't go to a priest. They don't go to a synagogue. Here it goes. Yes, Lord, here I am. Next verse. The Lord said, go to the house of Judas. Everybody say house. house. It overtook Rome through the homes and the temple. The point of today is I believe that we have to steer the conversation, typically in the Bible Belt, more towards the homes than we do the temple. Typically, you have people that bash the temple and say it's controlling, or you have people that say we can't get into homes because it's too messy. Here we are in Paradoxville again. I'm not asking my opinion. I'm asking the Rodney Stark boring question of sociological studies. How did it get here? It got here through the temple and the home. If there is no home going on, it's not biblical. So what does home look like? Well, he went, he gets healed there in a home. Home looks like this. You have to take responsibility to actually lead others, perhaps for the first time in your life. Because if you have a home or a sphere of influence, your holly tree, your gym, your job, your office, your school, whatever it is, just because it's there doesn't mean that you're choosing in to actually steward that to bring light in the darkness. See, you can actually come to a church, hide, no one know you, tithe from time to time, and hide out there too. We, you shouldn't be able to hide here or there because where there's light, you can't hide. The people that, that go the highest on the mountain have both of these in play. My wife and I have had in the past six years, two people live with us for a long time, not at the same time at different times. Well, why do we do that? Because my wife and I take this seriously. You can't disciple someone from a stage. Can't happen. We need less podcast and more life-on-life interaction. I'm just telling you the truth. But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Please hear me on this. I'm not asking you to go find a home that you can connect with and someone help grow you. I'm saying we're at a place on the vine at Bridgeway. Our own home should be the place where we are the point guards of helping other people grow. I'm asking you to ask two questions. You ready? Here it is. What is your current plan of growing someone else? And is that plan working? Because if the father's scorecard is not just here but out there, we might want to take it seriously.
Paul ministered in the temple, he ministered in the home. Oikos was a Greek word. Before I have the riddles come up here, I just want to say this. Oikos was a Greek word of extended family of 30 to 50. Any community that does not rhythmically break off and multiply is not a community in the Father's eyes. And typically, those communities that won't break up and multiply, they become toxic, and then they become disunity, and the enemy hits them. Yeah, I'm going to say it one more time now. Don't rush past this. If my community is not... Adam and Shauna going to Clemson, he's been a disciple of mine for seven years, is a natural... I don't even want to say the word, but it's excretion in the kingdom. It sounds kind of weird, but it's just true. When, when fruit falls from a tree, the seed goes down into the ground and then there's more fruit, right? So we need to be multiplying. So we're not just going to be about here. We're going to be out there as well. Okay, let's have uh, the Riddles and Blake come on up here and let's just get real in these conversations on Temple and Home. Let's give the Riddles a hand this morning. Thomas, you and Angela take the home seriously. And I don't, I don't want to get all fancy and I just want to get real. I want people to be able to, to grasp this thing. So the whole point of this series is our core values. We want them to be biblical and we want, them, we want to hang our hats on these principles. Last week was Word and Spirit. This week is Temple and Home. You guys take the home really seriously. It seems to come natural for you. Uh, when... Let's just start with both of you right here. When did that start? Why is that such a passion of yours? How, how did um, how'd that happen? Well, you know, Angie and I are both educators. And I think that we have always considered what our profession to be our mission field. That whenever we taught students, they weren't just our students, they're our kids. They still are our kids. And I think that... We looked at whatever we were doing um, to, to do it for the Lord. And we could do it in the classroom. I did it on the football field as a coach. Um, that was what we saw. We, came from, we were blessed to come from homes in which that was taught to us too. That was modeled for us that we had parents and grandparents who lived, lived their faith out. Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally with um, watching my young sons turn into young men, I saw then that it was my job as a parent to make sure that they were going to then kind of continue with this. So I just kind of like made sure that, um, yeah, that the home was a place for them for um, just peace, hopefully, and as well as just to um, be able to place it, have hard conversations, but good conversations all together at one time. Why don't we stay right here and ask you, ask you another question. Will y'all scoot back? Cause I want them to be able to see you guys over there too. See Angela, you seem to be someone that models <clears throat> paradox. Well, I don't know why I'm standing 30 feet from you, um, <laughs> to where you take both the, when I say temple, it sounds like a strange word, but I just mean the, the structure of church here. You seem to balance well, a passion for both temple and home. Is that true? I do. What, why? The Lord just instills it in me. And I mean, I think when I started seeing um, my sons, my oldest particularly, um, just go after the Lord, it opened my eyes to, wow, there was more of him that I didn't know. I was raised Baptist and just um, 
just went to church. And I think when he started showing me and how to live a life, I was like, wow, there's a whole lot more that I need to tap into that I have never thought of. And so now I just want to live that out to the fullest in my home and with my kids and just all the young people that I'm around on a daily basis. Love you, Nathan. Um, Nick, let me ask you this question. Jody said something on the interview that I thought was really good. He said, typically in the homes, there's more vulnerability. There's more, um, it's easier to, to go there in the homes. Have you seen that to be true? How old are you? I'm 20. You're 20. Yeah. What's it like to be a 20-year-old? Based off Joseph's comment, mm-hmm. do you think that's true? And if you do, why? Um, I think it is because, you know, what, what, what Jody was saying was you can be vulnerable in the church, but when you're in those walls of your home, it's magnified um, because you're just so close together. And what we've seen when we have people over at our house um, – there's just you when you get that community and you get those people and you and those people are regularly coming and they're regularly um, being family together inside of a home. It just breaks down those walls more and more each time. Um, you're giving each other a freedom to speak into each other's lives and you're you're letting those walls come down with every visit almost um, to your family and allowing this relationship to build and vulnerability comes out of that relationship. Um, and that's what we've seen, and it's, it's been amazing. It's been awesome. That's, that's really good. John, I don't know uh, who told me this. It might have been Sammy. I can't remember. But someone told me a couple of weeks ago that the revelation of undercover has changed your life. Yeah. Um, by the way, I didn't tell them what questions I was going to ask them because I just don't like that. I'd rather you just be put on the spot and let's let the Holy Spirit flow. So John's looking at me like, dear God, what is he about to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> Um, is that, I, I, I don't, it was either Sammy or Lee that told me. Is that true? It is. Yeah. Okay, so why don't, I'm going somewhere with this because I'm going to ask Blake a question next. Typically, people gravitate towards the home side of things and they think the structure of the church or the temple is evil. Yeah. Well, the message of undercover submitting to delegated authority for your own protection, advancement, and prosperity and promotion has changed your life. What's that process been like? So first off, I just finished up Chick-fil-A. I've been there for two and a half years. And so for a while, um, it was very hard for me to go about my day-to-day and like look at my authorities there. I'm like, this is tough because I don't really agree with what you're saying to me to go do. I'm like, there's a better, better way to go around it. And I'm not saying that they're wrong or anything, but it was really tough for me to go and say, okay, you're my authority and I have to do that. And with that have come so many blessings so, like, with that, I've gotten a new job with um, be working at Century BMW uh, starting on Monday. And then just also submitting to my parents and to also Paige and Jody and just them tell, coming to me and telling me, like, getting real with me. And really saying, like, calling me out, my blind spots, you know, and where those come. And I'm like, I really uh, and take that knowledge in um, into consideration. And like, wow, let me think about this. And then I'm going to go and impart it to those around me. So, like, coming to my parents and, like, being undercover with them allows me to go and share to others, like, what authority looks like and how to submit to your authority. So not only, like, is it coming and, like, I'm doing it myself, but I'm going out and teaching it to others who don't know about it, you know, especially, like, if those who haven't, like, read John Brevere's book, Undercover, teaching just my fellow coworkers, just people I've run into and, like, hey, that's not okay. Like, we need to think about our authority and how to submit to them. 
So, yeah. Thank you, John. That, that was really good. Blake, one of the sayings we have around here as a principle is boring typically brings the breakthrough. So even a series like this, it's kind of some, it's a boring plot along, if you will, of five core values and then one talk on paradox. Um, even though there is some boring to this, the breakthrough is large if we abide by it because typically people gravitate towards one of two streams in this conversation. Um, a home group person and the temple side is nothing but structure or vice versa. What is the danger in only going into one of these? Where's the problem with that? Well, what we have at risk is not overtaking Rome. And so that's the, that's the goal is we want to overtake Rome. And if I'm choosing one or the other, um, you, uh, if you don't have the, the organization of a temple, then your home is just going to be wandering and you don't have a movement anymore. Now you're in the desert for 40 years and you're not getting anywhere. Uh, if you have um, just a temple, then it's just very passive and you're just sitting there. Jesus didn't say, go hole up in a building somewhere and wait for people to come to you. And when you do, you can get them saved or you can make them the disciples. Yeah. It's a directive to go. And so you like without both of those, like there's just nothing. You you seem you seem to uh, light up on that. Um, you got some comments on that? Yeah. You know, one of the things that struck me, I'm an old history teacher, and when you teach about the Roman Empire and the rise of Christianity, um, a lot is made of Tertullian, who's a second century Christian theologian. Uh, his comment about why did Christianity overthrow Rome, and his his quote that's often you know. Going back to is the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. What he was talking about was how could these people and their homes give up their lives literally? And people began, the, the intelligentsia of Rome began to investigate how could they do this? And they found Jesus along the way. Well, what really strikes me there is we're still called, you said this was a death place, right? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We're called to die to self. Okay, and, and Brian, what Brian said about the home being under attack, have you ever stopped to think that the enemy knows that the most effective way that the gospel can be spread is through the home and through the family? And so Chad often says, you know, Satan couldn't beat the church, so he joined it. Satan can't beat the home, so he tries to destroy it. And so what that requires of all of us is to die to self. We are not perfect at all. We are a beautiful mess. We have to die to self, and people know that. If you come early, especially on a Thursday night, you've often walked into that beautiful mess. But what, <laughs> Jeffrey, amen. So, so, but here's the thing, guys. We're not anything special. We just daily choose, and it's a struggle, but to die to self. That's how the church grows. That's how the gospel spreads. We are still called to be martyrs, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are dying physically every day. But we are also called to that same kind of death. We have to die to self. So open your homes up, take the chance, and that's how the gospel spreads. You're preaching a little too good. You need to calm down. <laughs> um, I want to close with this. I'm going I'm to speak the blessing today before we pray for people. What if, I'm not saying this prophetic word, not, but it might be. What if Bridgeway never grew past a thousand people because so many people were being released? And you look at Pentecost, 
I'm not, I don't know where the big church, they just, you know, God can do whatever he wants to do, but I'm just saying you can have a local church of 20,000 people and not be much yeast out there. You can have a church of 300 people and change the world. I'm talking about systematically, methodologically, 120, 150 people at Pentecost. I would say it worked pretty well. Here we are. In the name of Jesus Christ, may Bridgeway be biblical and let the chips fall where they may. In Jesus' name.